Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at. Um, we've been in the Philippians for the past few weeks, uh, and today we're in part 3 of Philippians series, and we're going verse by verse of this book written by this guy named Apostle Paul. Uh, and he was actually imprisoned in Rome, and what we've been doing is we've been studying this book, and we have found this theme of joy. Can everyone say joy? This theme of joy, uh, and it's really interesting because uh, it would be that we as Christians are to have joy no matter what our circumstances are or what our situations may look like. No matter how bad your day may be, that we would have this joy of God in our lives. Why? And it's this kind of big idea. The reason why we chose to walk through the book of Philippians is because the mark of a mature Christian is how you handle your bad days. The mark of a mature Christian is how you handle your bad days. And that as Christians, when bad days come, we are not moved because we have this joy, not in ourselves, not in the world or anything around us. How many of you guys know things can change at any point, any day? But we have this joy found in Christ who doesn't change at all. And so he's kind of, he, he is our firm foundation. So we have this joy that is rooted in him. And not that we just have this joy, but actually that we would express joy. Philippians 4.4, 4, I know we're jumping towards the end here, but there's this key verse, if there's ever a big idea in this uh, letter that Paul wrote, it would be this. It would be, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again rejoice. And that word rejoice is not just like he joiced once, he needs to joice again. Um, that was a horrible pastor joke. Don't do that next time. Um, but he's saying, don't just say you have joy, but actually express joy. Actually express it. Because it's one thing to say you have joy, but it's another thing to express it. And so you want to express joy. And the reason why I'm really harboring on this is because a lot of times Christians say, oh, I have joy. I have the joy of the Lord. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And, uh, nah, 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 nah. and all the time they're telling me this, and they look like this. I'm going to throw it up there. Oh, I've got the joy. Just, just don't bother me. I've got the joy. Just don't take my seat in church. I've got the joy. Don't talk to me. And so they, they're saying they kind of look like this, but they're saying, I've got the joy. And I'm telling you, that cat is not rejoicing. There's nothing about that cat that says, I've got joy in my life. And I don't know about you, but this world needs the joy of the Lord in it. And it's done through Jesus' followers. That is you rejoicing. The only way this world gets the joy of the Lord in our systems, in our government, in our school systems, in, 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 in your homes, in your marriage, is not just by saying you have joy, but actually you're rejoicing. You have to express the joy in your life. And so, in fact, uh, we, I had my community group last, uh, last week. You can sign up for our community groups right back there. Um, but we had this meeting last week. We were on the table, and uh, we found out that all of us, including myself, had a really hard time expressing joy. It was easy for us to say we had joy, but it was a hard time to express how do you express joy how do you rejoice and so I actually I challenge them and I just give you a really quick challenge is through your day find something that you know without a doubt the Lord was in it and rejoice about it and rejoicing can look like a lot of different things this is not even in the preaching this is a freebie for you um, this, the, but but you can go down there and just write this down and saying you know what I had a good day and I didn't argue with my boss write it down just by writing it I would say that's an expression of joy 
Writing that down. I, I had a day and I didn't snap at my kids. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Or, I, you know, uh, I went to Walmart and, and I didn't get angry um, in there with me right that one. But find something. It could be something as cheesy as that, but find something and take joy in it. Take joy in it. It could be something posting on Facebook. It's not bragging. You can do that. Unless you do that all the time, maybe you should express joy. Not doing that might actually be your expression of real joy. I don't know. But it's find something that you can find joy about. And so to help us start this journey of joy, I believe it's always the journey of joy can maybe be started by laughter. Um, I have this love for uh, church signs that I've shown you in the past, uh, in the past few months. But uh, really church signs, and they have this message that um, makes us laugh and are full of joy. I don't know how effective they are by getting people in their church. Um, but some of them are really clever, and I want you guys to kind of laugh with me this morning. Uh, you can throw the first one up there. Uh, this is from First Reformed Church of Bethel. Keep using my name in vain. I'll make rush hour longer. God. That's for someone out there. Uh, do the next one. Church of the Cross. Uh, don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> Punctuation matters. Uh, here's another one. Mount Vernon Baptist Church says, what happens in Vegas is forgiven here pretty good. I like that. I like that. Uh, Mount Pleasant Baptist Church, uh, do you know what hell is? Come here, a uh, come here, a preacher. Okay, don't throw up the, don't throw up the next one yet. Don't throw up the next one yet, because that's pretty funny. I was going through these, and I found one, and I was going through them, and I found one that I actually, I had asked my wife, I'm like, is this inappropriate for church? And she was laughing so hard she couldn't reply, so I took that as a yes, but I'm sharing it anyways. Throw, th go and throw it up there. St. Peter's Presbyterian Church says, this Thursday will be our ice cream social. All women who are given milk, please come early. <laughs> Don't go to that ice cream social. <laughs> the reason I show you these is because they are funny. They're stinking hilarious. You can throw that down. You can take that off of there now. They're going to be looking at that the whole time. But we got to have joy in this life, and I think it can be started by laughter. But stuff like this is contagious, and it's something that our world needs. You, you don't see this anymore. And I show you these because, they, yes, they are funny, but I want you to know that as Jesus followers, we're called to rejoice. We're called to rejoice, to express joy no matter our circumstances, no matter our situation, no matter if it's a good day or a bad day, we're called to Rejoice, And trust me, I know it can be hard. I know it can be hard, but it's something that we can all work on because we are called to, by God himself, to rejoice. So let's jump into Philippians part three, chapter three. Remember, Paul is in prison in Rome. He's in maximum security. He's chained to a guard 24-7. Uh, he's been beaten and tortured. His cell is underground in complete darkness, barely no food or water. And Paul is writing this letter to a church in Philippi. He says, no matter your circumstances, you need to rejoice. And this is what he says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. And then we're going to jump down to verse 18. He says this, whatever happens, underline that if you can. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Again, something we need to know about joy. Paul is saying rejoice in the Lord no matter what. 
no matter what happens. And the phrase, whatever happens, if you really translate it down, it translates into this, whatever happens. And there's no barrier between left or right. He says, literally, on the spectrum of life, no matter what happens to you, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Well, Pastor Von, you don't know my history. You don't know my baggage. You don't know my sufferings. And to tell you the truth, I don't know. And so maybe this morning I don't have a right to tell you you need to find joy in the Lord no matter your situations, no matter what. But I think Paul has a right because Paul is in Rome, the place where he thought he would preach on a platform and plant churches and thousands would get saved. And he had this remarkable dream that he believed it was from God himself. But instead of preaching on a platform in Rome, he's preaching in a cell, awaiting his execution at any moment. He's telling us, whatever happens, Rock Church, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And if you can imagine this church reading this letter from Paul, they're, they're seeing this theme of joy and reading these words of Paul that say joy and rejoice over and over and over and over again. And then I kind of think of, of us as the Rock Church, and I'm preaching this, this, this book of the Bible. You're, he, you're hearing the words joy and rejoice over and over and over again. And I think there might be someone here today, just like in this church in Philippi, that's screaming, saying, Pastor Vaughn, we get it. I've heard you talk about joy so much the last few weeks. I, I, I get it. And I would have to answer to you almost like Paul says here. I would have to respond like Paul, saying that I know your ear may be tired of us saying things like rejoice no matter what. Find joy in all circumstances. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. But you need to know that we cannot stop saying that. Because joy is a safeguard to your faith. Joy is a safeguard to your faith. Let me say it this way. Joy is not only good in your life. Joy is also a weapon. Joy is also not good in your life. It's also a weapon. Joy protects your faith. It allows you to rise above your problems, not to avoid your problems, but allows you to rise above your problems. I think of joy kind of like this. Um, I learned back in the day, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to give away my age, um, but I learned in science class in high school um, <laughs> that uh, when an eagle, the eagles love to fly. They hate landing. They hate resting on trees, but they love to soar and they love to fly. And just like any birds, a predator, they love when they catch a wind gust and just glide. They can glide for endless hours and they play and they have a really, really fun time. But eagles, they do something interesting. Um, when they're flying and they're coming against a storm front, most birds land and take cover. The eagle actually sees the issue and uses its wind gusts to its advantage, tilts its wings back, and soars to higher altitudes to rise above the storm. So while everyone else is freaking out and everyone else is hiding, the eagle is still soaring and enjoying what he does best and is soaring above the storm. I kind of think of joy that way. Yes, it's cheesy, but I think of that way. Joy allows us to see the storms in our life and helps us not to avoid them, but to rise above them. That's what joy does for your life. And that's why it's a safeguard to your faith. Because let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff that's going to come against your faith. There's going to be a lot of things that's going to try to make you wane and waver. But if you can use that to your advantage and just tilt your wings a little bit and just kind of rise above it, that's where it's at. 
Joy is a safeguard to your faith. And that is why Paul is telling us so many times, 16 times, in fact, in four short chapters, that we as Jesus followers, we need joy. We need to express joy. We need to rejoice because it protects my faith. It protects your faith. And if you don't have joy, your faith will become unsteady. It will become unsteady. So Paul, he carries on in verse 18, and he talks about some joy killers. Last week, I gave you some joy killers. I'm going to give you some more joy killers. The things that are out in this world that want to kill your joy in God, that if you choose not to rejoice, these things may take place. Philippians 3, 18 through 19. This is Paul still talking. He says, For I've told you often before, I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows that they're really enemies of the cross of Christ. We'll let that sink in a little bit. They're headed for destruction. Their God, lowercase g God, is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. Oh, man, that is rampant. Even in the church, they brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Look at that last part. They only think about this life here on earth. Some of your Bibles say that their mind is on earthly things. And church, if you follow Jesus and you're so focused on things of this earth, it's very hard to find joy in your faith. If you call yourself a Jesus follower and you're so focused on the things of this world, it's really hard to find joy in your faith, to find joy in Christ. And when that happens, your faith becomes unsteady and it can actually waver. We believe that. It can waver and things begin to take root that was never supposed to take root. And I want to help you as your pastor not to let those weeds take root. Because I don't know if you guys have ever picked weeds out of your lawn. Thank God falls here in winter and snow's about to ground. I can just ignore the whole issue. That's a whole other spiritual sermon, that one. But you have to go out there and you pick out those dandelions and weeds. You know how much a pain it is? Some of those weeds let them grow and you got to pull out a huge root. It's, it's a lot of work. And so instead of waiting to pull them, let's just go ahead and put the weed barrier down and make sure it doesn't happen. And so this is what he says. These are the joy killers that if you don't focus on Jesus, you focus on things of this, of this earth. Even Paul calls them the enemies of the cross. He said it, not me. And this is how serious it is. These are the joy killers. If you're so focused on this earth, this is what you'll miss out. These are the results. Number one is this. You are unaware of the benefits of the cross. You'll become unaware of the benefits of the cross. Maybe you came to the Rock Church for the first time, or maybe this is your first time in a church, or maybe you just haven't heard Jesus maybe in this way. But when you're focused on the things of this earth, you'll be blindsided by the benefits of the cross. And just as we had communion here, I think it was fitting, there's a lot of benefits that come because of Jesus dying on the cross. A lot of things can happen. But if you're so focused on this earth, you won't experience the benefits of cross. Benefits of the cross like forgiveness of sins, being made new, receiving unconditional love, being able to come as you are to God the Father and being in his presence. These are all benefits of the cross. Things that Jesus knew that if he died on the cross as a sinner, we as the real sinners could be saved. That's the benefit of the cross. And because of that, Jesus found joy willingly and joyfully gave up his life for you and me. That's what happens. 
So if you're so focused on the things of this world, you're unaware of the benefits of the cross. Number two, you become addicted to pleasure. You become addicted to pleasure, especially now. Everything tells us that if it feels good, then do it. If it feels good, do it. And sadly, this was just a cultural trend that was teaching of this. But now, this whole thing of, like, if it feels good, then do it, is in our community systems, like, in schools, teaching this. And I say that not to, like, oh, you need to be scared, and you need to homeschool, or whatever. I'm not not saying any of that. I am saying is that now, more than ever, we need to be on our knees in prayer. Because this type of ideology is taking root in people's life. If it feels good, then do it. And this is even to the extreme. You can be addicted to, to pleasure and, and, and the good things that people think good, like, like working at your job, becoming a workaholic, which is the thing that America actually blesses if you do it. It could be addicted to your children. That's possible. Your spouse. Things that we deem good. And it could be on the whole other spectrum to the most perverse pleasures out there in our community and saying, yes, if it feels good, then do it. And I'm telling you, that is not right. That is not of God. And the reason why pleasure is so addicting is because pleasure brings happiness. And that is why in week one, we deciphered between what is joy and what is happiness. Because they're two separate things. And we as Christians, we want joy. We want joy. Number three, number three is when you're so focused on this earth, you become earthly minded. You become earthly minded. We know as Christians that God calls us to a kingdom mindset that we're not to actually conform to this world. Romans 8, 6 even says the mind of a sinful man is death, but the, man, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and is peace. Now, life that talks about that's eternal life, but you'll miss it if you're so focused on this world. So church, it's calling us, we need to make a shift We need to make a shift. And it's because of what Paul says in Philippians 3.20. And this is where hopefully you guys are starting to become encouraged here. This is what Paul says about being earthly minded. Verse 20 says, but we, that's you and I, are citizens of heaven. When the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly wait for him to return as our Savior. We are citizens of heaven. We need to get this in check really quick, especially because we live in this kind of American mindset here where we think, you know, our first citizenship is America. And I'm telling you right now, that's wrong. It's not right. Now, before you throw your rocks, let me also say this. When we come in a relationship with Jesus Christ, Our citizenship is heaven. In fact, the Bible calls us ambassadors of Christ. If you know what an ambassador is, an ambassador is a representation of a country in a foreign country. We are representatives of heaven in a foreign place. We said one time, we are representatives of heaven in a foreign place. We are ambassadors of Christ. And because we are ambassadors of Christ and we're, we're citizens of heaven, then everything about us should scream, I belong to heaven. I belong to heaven. And that includes our joy. 
And so many times our joy is determined by our circumstances and our situations, and it's shaped and formed by the things around us and of this world, and it becomes this thing of joy that no longer resembles heaven, but it resembles this world. And so over the next few months, I just want to give you a few things that tells you how to focus your joy. You need to focus your joy. Because if you focus it here on this earth, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. But the key to joy, to focus your joy, you can write this down, key to joy is not to be earthly minded, but to be eternally minded. The key to joy is to be eternally minded. Not earthly minded, eternally minded. And when you are eternally minded, you begin to shift your focus. I would even say it this way, that your joy truly has a focus. Your joy is focused on the things of God, the things of the cross, the, the things of heaven. And maybe there's three things I guess I could maybe hopefully sum up to, to encourage you today. Three things that your joy can focus on and encourage you today. But this is it. When you're internally minded, you see God's redemption for my yesterday. Now, if I ask this, if you look at your past, does it bring you joy? Most of us would say no. If I look at my past, I see all the things that I've done, said, I would think it does not bring me joy. And I think everyone here has baggage. Everyone here has skeletons in their closet. Everyone has a past that they're not proud of. Things they did, things that you said, things that maybe you would have done differently if you can go back in time and change it and do it all over again, but you can't. And Jesus knows that. And what's so cool about Jesus, he doesn't just leave us hanging there saying, wrestle with your past, that's all on you. After all, you did it. But he actually offers a solution. He offers this solution. It's called redemption. This solution is called redemption. Even Paul, this guy that we're, we're reading about, he's writing this letter. He wrote majority of the New Testament. Even Paul, this great wise man from the Bible, we learned so much. He's even considered an apostle of Jesus Christ. Even he has a past. And I would dare say he's got a very rough past. He says of this, Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he says, I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about his past. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Paul, earthly speaking, was the guy before Jesus. Like he was the guy for the Jewish people. He was called the Pharisee of Pharisees. He, had, he, he loved the Jewish culture. and In fact, he would, do it, he would do anything to protect the Jewish ways. Anything. So much that includes murder, which Paul did a lot of. You see, when the new believers came and the way happened, the Jewish way was being threatened and saying, Paul, you need to go out there and protect this. And so Paul, his main job, and he's actually paid to do this, would go out and persecute Christians to death. He would do it. In fact, there was a guy in the Bible that references Paul, that he was the one that executed his stoning. I mean, this is Paul. He murdered Christians for a living. Paul was the guy, maybe one of the most considered maybe righteous Jews at that time. But Paul, when he knows Christ, when he got in a relationship, it shined a light to his issues of his past. And Paul knows it. He knows his past. But here's the thing about Paul. Paul has a past, but he's not living in it. How many of you are living in your past? 
Every day you wake up and you have regrets. You keep on think, thinking of, man, I wish I would have done that differently. I wish I didn't make that decision. I wish my life was totally different right now. Paul has been there. And I know it's easy to live in the past and living in the regret. But let me tell you, when we are eternally minded, you don't live in the past, but you can allow God to redeem it. As a Christian, it's probably one of the hardest things in our walk with Jesus is to let go of our past and give it to God and say, hey, it's yours. And let, let God to redeem. Even I have a past. I have done things I'm not proud of. I have, I have lied. I have done things that I'm shameful of. I've made choices that were the wrong choices. I put myself in situations that did not bring glory to Jesus. And when I met Jesus, I was extremely shamed of the things that I did. And for some reason, I was so focused on the past, I could never move to the today that God wanted me to live in. I was so focused. I was like, I love Jesus, but don't look at this stuff. I love you, God, but let's, let's just put this in the closet and we'll address it when we get there. The problem is when the first steps is when you come to Jesus, you have to let him in that closet. Let him see the skeletons. Let him see the mess, the bad choices, the circumstances. And let me tell you, when Jesus does that, and we'll just kind of lead in the next point, when Jesus does that, he doesn't make fun of you. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't say you deserved it. Or that's what you get. He redeems it. He's the only person that I know of that can make something so shameful into something that actually glorifies God and benefits you. Only person in the job that I know that can do that. God can do that. And let me tell you, when I let God do that, it changed me. It allowed to get my focus off my past, to got myself eternally minded and really see this next part. And this is this. When you're eternally minded, God redeems your past. Then you see God's purpose for your today. When you're eternally minded, you see God's purpose for my today. And this is probably the biggest, most important maybe of all of this entire message, that you have a purpose as of today. You do. You had a purpose yesterday, but now you have a purpose today. A God-given purpose. And it's much bigger than just do good and be nice and love Jesus, but it's actually a purpose that you can take hold of and sprint with it, knowing fully that this is what God created you to be, created you to do. And when you're eternally focused, you can see God's purpose for your today. I'm telling you, there's nothing more fulfilling in this life living in the purpose that God created for you. You can do all the things. You can travel the world. You can make the most money. You can have all the nicest things. But nothing will be as fulfilling living in your God's given purpose. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he says this. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, talking about salvation and his purpose and running fully, or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on, underline that. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. This is talking, remember, this is eternally, this is Joyce focus right here. But I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on 
to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He uses terms like this, like terms like press on and, and focus on one thing, reaching the end of the race and, and winning the prize. And all of these are athletic terms of a runner. And he's telling us, this is how you need to run in this relationship with Jesus. This is what you need to do. This is how you know your joy is focused. And so it's, it's interesting. If you go to Israel with me, you get to kind of see the area that may, Paul might have kind of penned some of these areas. But Paul was in prison next to, uh, I guess what, I forgot the technical term, but it was uh, next to, I guess what we call the gladiator pits. And he, they, in these gladiator pits, not only would they have fights and all these things, but they'd also have races, people running races, chariot races, and all this stuff. And he's saying that, you know, he's penning this and he's looking at this. He says, you need to be kind of like that runner that is sprinting all out. You need to be like that with Jesus. And here's the thing with a runner. If you ever, I was going to show a video, but we've got quite a bit of videos to show uh, this morning. But the, if you ever look at an Olympic runner, every muscle in their body says, I'm running forward. Every muscle. There is no reserve strength in their running to look behind them to see where everyone else is at. And in fact, if you look at them, they don't even turn their heads. They're always looking ahead of them. In fact, they're running so hard, even if they just look, they'll trip because they're off focus. Every muscle in there, even the, in the chariot, the horse races. If you look at a horse race, there's someone in Grand Island. You can, they, they run every muscle in their body screams, I'm running forward. I'm running as hard as I can. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to pay any attention to the person left or right, but I'm running forward. That's the way we need to run this race with Jesus. And so I was trying to think like, well, you know, obviously I'm not a runner, God. I'm, I'm not a runner. But I did play sports back in the day. And uh, I was trying, and the Lord kind of was like, well, this is kind of similar. I'm like, all right. And so, so there was this, uh, I was on the special teams. Uh, I was on the punting team uh, and playing football. And my job, my job as during the special teams play was to block the guy in front of me. And when the snapper snapped the ball, as soon as I heard the punter kick the ball, my job was to throw the guy in front of me aside and run as fast as I can to the guy who's receiving the ball. Now, here's the thing. My coach, he, he was very, he was a really good coach, but man, he did not want to see you even have a wavering strength of what you were supposed to do. He wanted 100% all times, every time. And so he would notice, he'd say, you know, you guys, when you guys get down the punter, you're, you're, you're slowing down your run. Don't slow down. And the reason that we were slowing down is because if I hit the guy as hard as I'm running, I'm really going to hurt him. And he says, no, 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 your job is to hurt the guy. And so he says, this time, you're going to run. You're going to run all out. And so I heard the, the kicker kick the ball, and he's run, and he gets the ball. And I see him, and I dart there, and I notice that there's no one in front of me. I'm like, I'm the guy that's going to have to tackle this dude. And I'm running so hard, and every muscle in my body is saying, I'm running after this guy. And there's absolutely no way that I can stop. And what I didn't see, because I was so focused on hitting the dude, I didn't see him do this. And I hit him. <laughs> and I got flagged. <laughs> but I couldn't stop. I was so focused. I, I didn't see anything. I knew what I had to do. And I was running towards the goal of my run. The same way it goes for us, church. 
you're supposed to be sprinting all out for God. Not wavering left or right or reserving energy for the what ifs or what if it doesn't work out or... In fact, my coach even said this, because we asked, like, man, like, 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 what if we miss? And he's like, if you mess up, mess up big. Just mess up, it's okay. But when it comes to our spiritual walk, church, you've got to run. We've got to run. We've got to run this pace. And this is what Paul's saying. Let God redeem your past and focus on your God-given purpose today. We talked last week when Paul's saying that you need to work out your salvation. And he's saying here in a different way. And remember, we're not talking about you work for your salvation. Not, we don't believe that at all. We believe that you're saved by grace through faith. But we believe because of the salvation that we have in Jesus, we rejoice and we express it through our life. The way we live, the way we work, the way we carry ourselves. And when we run this race, not for salvation, but we run this race in the way that he's describing it because of our salvation. And that's what Paul's talking about. Because we are saved, we don't want to waste this life on anything other than what Jesus wants us to do. And so when you're eternally minded, you see God's redemption for your yesterday. You see God's purpose for your day. And the last one is this. You see God's plan for your tomorrow. God has a plan for your, your tomorrow. God tells you not to worry about tomorrow because God's got it. Don't worry about it. Just focus on today. But you see God's plan for your tomorrow. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this. It says, but we are citizens of heaven. We just read that. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Christ Jesus lives. We eagerly wait for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Let me tell you God's plan for you tomorrow because it's easy for us to worry about it. You see, and let me kind of backtrack. We live in the era of our life right now where everything is telling you you need to worry. You watch the news, they tell you you need to worry. You need to stress out. You need to have anxiety. You go to schools, they tell you that you have to worry. Everything in this life tells you, even about the food that you eat, they tell you you need to worry about it, which I hate because I love food. But they're telling you, they're saying, hey, you, you, need, you, need, to worry, you need to worry about this. You, you got to look out for your tomorrow. You got to know about these things. Let me tell you what God's plan for you is tomorrow. God's plan for you tomorrow and for the rest of your future is heaven. God's plan for you is heaven. Why? Because you are citizens of heaven. C.S. Lewis, he said it this way. He says, when you live for heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you live for earth, you get neither. Let me say that one more time. When you live for heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you live for earth, you get neither. Meaning if you're eternally focused, your life is not wasted here. It's not. But if you're earthly focused, you're so consumed chasing after the what ifs, you forget that you have a purpose here and you'll miss heaven. And it's a very, very scary thing. And I want to make sure we as the Rock Church, we do not do that. In fact, there's this thing called deathbed confessions where people are about to pass away from this life to the next and people will ask, 
You know, what's the one thing you want to say before you go? And more times than not, the confessions that are written down are confessions of regret. I wish I would have done that differently. I wish I, I didn't do that. I wish I would have took the chance and risked it. But church, when you realize you're a citizen of heaven and not earth, your last breath won't be one of regret. But when you're citizens of heaven, it'll actually be one of joy. I've seen this time and time again. I've been at the side of, of, of deathbeds quite a few times, but there's one that really sticks out and I had permission to share this. Um, we had a, a lady in our church that passed away a couple years ago and I had the opportunity to have cup, uh, coffee with her quite a few times. I was kind of new to the church here and so I didn't get to know her as well as I wanted to. Um, but this is a story of, of Jeannie. You can throw her up. Up there, that's her. And uh, I got to know her. She's a very, very sweet lady. Super sweet. And uh, I was at home and I got a call that says, hey, I was actually from her daughter, Deb. Deb's our treasurer here. Uh, Deb said, hey, um, she's being rushed to uh, the hospital in Omaha. Can you need to be praying? I'm like, sure. So I, I, I prayed and, and I told my wife, I said, I think I need to be up there. And so I was on my way to Omaha. And uh, I got to Omaha and I got in the elevator and I was trying to figure out what room. I was on the same floor. And uh, I gave Deb a call and I said, hey, uh, how's your mom? What's going on? And she said, well, actually, she had to go into surgery. And uh, we found out she just passed away. I'm like, ah, oh, it just hurts. Uh, maybe you guys experienced that. It's just, it's just, it's, just it's, a, it's a hurt thing. And I can tell you when I walked in that room, there's two reactions. Any pastor here, if you've been a pastor, you know what I'm talking about, or you've been in ministry, with someone that has died in the room. There's two reactions. There's the reaction of those who don't have joy and they're just crying, they're sobbing, and rightfully so. But then I knew that a couple of her, her kids were believers and I could just see that there was just the expression of, like, like they, were, they were truly grieved that their mother has passed away, but they weren't fearful. And I talked to Deb and I said, Deb, like, let's, let's fill me in. What, what, what happened? What's going on? And she said, well, they found some stuff in her body and they said, hey, we need to go through surgery to get this out. We've got to get you to surgery. But here's the thing. Uh, you're at this age and, you're, and your body's very, very tired that if you go into surgery, it's very probable that you're going to die. And so Jeannie, she, she had to make this, 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 this decision of, what do, I, what do I do? And the daughter said, you know, whatever you choose to do, we'll support it, whatever you want to do. And so Jeannie, she had this revelation. She says, you know what? It's a win-win situation for me because God's plan for my life is heaven. And so I could sit here and not go through the surgery and eventually die. I get to see with you guys a little more, more, more longer. And guess what? It's the same result. I still go to heaven. Or I could take this surgery, see what would happen. And if I do die, who cares? I'll be in heaven. Let me tell you, that coming from her was huge for her family. Because when she was rolled into that operating room, she wasn't fearful. She didn't have a doubt. 
She wasn't worried about what if. She just knew whatever happens, I'm going to be with Jesus. And let me tell you, maybe you're new to the Rock Church and this is completely weird for you. But when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the joy that is set before you. It's heaven. You see the joys focus on God to redeem your past. She wasn't worried about her past. She knew God already redeemed it. She knew that God gave her a purpose for today. And let me tell you, she lived her purpose. And she knew her plan for tomorrow, that with confidence that no matter what happens, heaven was waiting for her. Let me tell you, heaven, for those of you who made that decision with Jesus Christ, is waiting for you. Is waiting for you. So if we can do this, we're going to have a little time of prayer and reflection. If you can bow your hands, close your eyes.